And you know, God is so good. In every season that we find ourselves in, God is so good. This week, um, Kasha and I dropped our oldest daughter, Jordan, off at college in Lakeland, Florida. And uh, there were so many emotions that come with a day like that. Um, there was a moment where I was sitting there and I thought to myself, why didn't anyone tell me about this? Um, but really, I think it was I couldn't fully understand even when they tried to tell me things until those moments. Wednesday morning, I went into her room. We were leaving early in the morning. We drove to Florida all in one day. Um, which is a long drive, but get it over with. And um, I went into her room, and as I walked into her room, I saw her laying there in her bed, and all of a sudden it hit me, she's not going to be in this bed anymore. And I just began weeping. I mean, just uncontrollably weeping, like couldn't hold it together, ugly crier, I mean, you name it. And I'm literally like, I got to get out of this room. And so I went into our, our room and went in there and stayed in the closet and cried in there for a little bit. And Kasha's like, are you all right? And she's like, I can't even look at you. I just can't even look at you. And I'm like, <laughs> just a mess, you know. And so then I go back in the room and I give Jordan this huge hug and just tell her how proud I am of her and, and love her and all that. And recognizing a different season. And we get her down there and it seemed like a whirlwind trying to get her in. And she got her all, we got her all settled and everything. And I just, I just wanted to publicly just take a moment and just say thank you to the church body for your prayers, uh, for your support. Um, it means so much when you say things like, man, we've been praying for you. Been praying for uh, Jordan, been praying for you and mom. Uh, <laughs> Because we need those prayers, and we just, we just really appreciate that. And so I just, just want to say thank you as a church body for, for all that prayers and all, and all that support. It's, it's a completely new season for us, and, and our goal really is, is to walk through this season, um, learning along the way, but also just in a way that is honoring to the Lord. Um, because we recognize this, that the church is, is really a place where there are multiple stories that you're hearing. You just heard a story a moment ago of Emily who gave her life to Jesus, who got baptized. After being baptized, pictures go out on social media. Ends up mom reconnecting with daughter who's been estranged. Finds out mom gave her life to Jesus. That church down there, it's Lakewood Church, Joel Olstein's church in Houston, Texas. I'm making a specific point of telling you that because I think sometimes we shoot more bullets inside of the church than we do outside of the church. And listen, the, the enemy, you shouldn't be on his team. You should be on God's team. So stop shooting bullets inside of the church at other people. Um, but here, here's what I'll say. That church graciously is paying for Emily to fly down there to see her mom baptized. Come on, who does that? Who does that? It should be God's people do that. So before you sit there and pick everything apart of some guy, anyways, that's a whole other story. We don't need to get into that, but... But here's the thing, the church is made up of different stories. There's different people going through different seasons of their life. And all I know is, is at 40 years old, I've been through multiple seasons in my life and each season I've gone through, God has faithfully walked through those seasons with me. And so there's no doubt in my mind that God will walk through me in this new season and yeah, there'll be emotions of up and down, and there'll be times where we'll be crying. I was talking to Chad, and Chad is, is awesome, and he, he just said, he said, man, when, when I first sent my boys away to college, he said, literally, it would just hit me at the random times. He said, I'm literally just driving to work afterwards, and as I'm driving to work, he goes, it just hits me. I'm bawling, I'm crying so hard, I have to pull the car over. There are so many different stories that are represented in the church, but here's the beauty. At the center of every story is Jesus. In fact, if I could premise and put any one big thought in your mind today, it's this, is that if you'll keep Jesus at the center of your story, then you will make it through any season that comes your way. But you got to put Jesus at the center of it. The series we've been in is called Every Follower, and, and literally I, I was like, man, we just need to stay in this series 
um, just a little bit longer because I just want to share with you this one big idea today. And the big idea today is this, is that Jesus is the center of everything. See, last week we unpacked the idea of the uh, apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, the teacher, and how all of them are needed. All five are needed in order for the church to be built upon, upon all five of those. But the head of the church is Jesus. And so today I want to really show us this idea of Jesus being the center of of our lives, the center of our church. He is the head of it. He is the everything of it. He's, it, it's all about Jesus. So in fact, look at your neighbor right now and say, it's all about Jesus. And then look at them and say, and without Jesus, you'd be a mess. Come on now, anyone in the house, without Jesus, how many of you would be a mess? Come on now, raise your hand. Because I know I would be I would be a mess without Jesus. When I was done there dropping Jordan off, I, I would not be able to stand in front of you if I did not have Jesus. Because the one confidence that I have right now is I know that Jordan is in a great school. Southeastern is an amazing, amazing school. We got to hear their heart and just spiritual development. And, and, and here's what's so cool is, is God's favor was just upon us in so many different ways. I mean, like, easy move in to all these different things. Jordan's uh, roommate is incredible at math. And if you know Jordan at all and her math skills, she needs somebody who's incredible at math. And so it's just like all these different things that God did and just put them in there and, and put into place. Why? Because, because when you put Jesus at the center of your life, he'll take care of everything. And this thought hit me is when you look at the life of Jesus, did he use a lot of words or was Jesus' life more about showing? Because here's what I see in the church. We use words a lot. We talk about how we want to love other people. We talk about all these things. Talk is cheap. Actions, though, show the heart. You can say one thing, but your actions speak another thing, then guess what? We look at them and we go, your actions aren't lining up with what you say. You can say all day long that you love me, but if your actions don't line up, then guess what? That doesn't line up. And so here's the thought that hits me. If your life were a silent movie, what would it speak? If your life were a silent movie, what would it speak? Take all your words out. What would people see by your life? Would they see someone who's joyful and loves Jesus and is loving others? If you could never talk again, what would your life speak? In fact, just take a moment right now and think about just your week. Think about just the, just, just the past week. Let's not go back throughout all of it. Let's just take one week. If your week was silent... How did it look? How were your actions? What did it look like? It's interesting because I think that if many of us, if we were to take our words away and it was simply to be our life, there would be some struggle. So here, here's some thoughts. Would it, would it speak love? Would your, would your weak speak love? But people be like, oh man, that person right there is a lover. Like that person right there loves others. I was thinking through just my personal week, okay? And I was thinking about moments where I encountered different people at all these different places, from places that we ate at to people we were at the, you know, at the airport with, all these different people. And, I'm, and I literally look at it and I went, you know what? My life, I think, would speak love. Like I was always trying to be friendly to people. I was always trying to interact with them. I was talking to a lady last night. I, we were getting on the Spirit Airlines, which Spirit Airlines is a cheap airlines. And the reason why it's cheap is because the seats are horrible, because the, everything it's just just know you're gonna get there cheap and stop complaining you paid only a hundred bucks for the ticket okay like there's a reason so just we knew that going in it we knew we were gonna be uncomfortable <laughs> we knew we'd be sitting in seats that didn't recline we knew they wouldn't bring us peanuts or water or anything like that nothing you ain't getting nothing so I went up to the register and, and I or to the, the the lady at the thing and I said hey it's like how how's your day? Because I could tell it had been hectic. She's like, oh, it's been crazy. And I was like, oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. And just started talking with her and just, just being friendly with her and just, just showing her God's love in what? In a practical way in that moment. Literally just showing her God's love and everything. And then I, and then I asked her, I'm like, so 
So is exit row all checked in? Because I was hoping to get an exit row seat. Because exit row at least gives you a little more leg row and all that stuff. And she looks and she's like, no, exit row it did not. And I was like, oh, fantastic. And I said, how much would that be? And she's like, oh, that'd be 20 bucks a person. And I was like, would you like to give it to me for free? Is what I'm thinking in my mind. But I looked at her and I said, okay. I looked at Kasha and I had to remind myself, it's a cheap flight. There's a reason it's a cheap flight. You're going to make it through. And so I told her, I said, no, thank you. Right now, I'll, I'll actually pass. And she's like, okay, no big deal. But you know what I had is I had an interactive moment with a woman where I was able to, even though she didn't give me what I ultimately wanted. I mean, let's be honest. I wanted to be upgraded into exit row. I am a guy who is very capable of grabbing that door, pulling it out, throwing it outside, looking at everybody else saying, peace out, jumping out of the plane. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very capable of doing that in that moment. So I wanted to volunteer for that, but they, she didn't want. So instead of me looking at that moment and being disgruntled and saying, oh man, God's favor isn't upon me. Oh, this doesn't happen and yada, yada, yada. Instead, I went, I can show God's love to somebody in a moment regardless of receiving. Are you seeing what I'm saying here? I think as Christians, it's easy to love people when we want something from them. It's hard to love people when they don't give us anything, when they're not showing favor to us. So would your life, if it was a silent movie, speak love, would it speak of serving? Would it speak of serving? Would people literally look at your life and oh, that person is a servant. They're serving other people. Or are other people around to serve you? Here's another, would it speak of compassion? Would it speak of compassion? Would it speak of you having compassion on others or would it speak of judgment? Churches, many times it's filled with people who sometimes instead of showing compassion, we show judgment. Here we go, would it speak hunger? Now, here's the thing that's interesting about this statement is, is, it, is would it speak hunger of God's word or of the things of this world? Would people look at your life and be like, oh no, that person right there is hungry for God's word. They're hungry for the things of the Lord. Or would it speak of, no, that person right there is hungry for the things of this world? Would it speak faith? Would it speak faith? Faith in what? Faith in God? Would it speak of your faith in who God is, trusting him? Or would it speak of faith in, in the things of this world? See, we've all heard the expression, man, so many different times, that actions speak louder than words, right? How many of you guys have ever heard that? Actions speak louder than words, yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty known statement that's out there, but here, here we go. Here's a similar one that I want to focus in on. Use words only when necessary. See, I think if, as believers, we would actually use words only when necessary, we could actually be who God's called us to be. See, when you think about the five-fold ministry gifts that we've been talking about, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, the teacher, all five of those gifts in operation, you can go around all day long and tell people, I'm an apostle. But here's the question, do your actions speak of that of an apostle? You can go around all day long and be like, the word of the Lord says this is a prophet. But here's the thing. Do your actions speak of that of someone who's operating in the gift of the prophet? The evangelist, the shepherd, the teacher, your words can say one thing, but your actions can say a completely different thing. What is your life speaking? And so this morning, I just want to travel back in time for a minute. Before the layers of creeds and theological opinions and edicts and councils and, and all that that has become piled up in our minds when it comes to, to really digging into who the church is and, and who God has called us to be. Beneath all the deposits of all the, the stuff that's been deposited over centuries, before the churches and, and even before denominations and before all the arguments that we get in inside of the church, which is ridiculous, the things we argue about. Can I just say it's ridiculous? Before all the books and the internet put all the opinions of everyone and everyone's ideas out there as fact. Have you noticed that? It's great that we have more things out there, but everyone puts it out there as fact. It's like, this is true. Oh, it said that on the internet. 
Oh, I saw it on Facebook. Can I just tell you, it's not always real. And it was normally written by somebody who had a bend some different way. I can show you news reports that say one thing, and I can show you a news report by the, on the same subject by a different organization that will tell you completely different. So what do we do in moments like that? Well, maybe we start going back to God's Word and what God's Word says, and we start digging into that instead of worrying about what everyone else says. Who cares what Fox News says? Well, Pastor Brian, you, you, you can't be ignorant. Whoever said knowing the heart of Jesus is ignorance? I'll tell you, I would much rather know his heart than the heart of any other liberal or conservative person out there. Because his heart doesn't lead me wrong. So know his heart. So let's go back to Palestine. Early, first century Palestine. To the home of Mark. Now Mark, Mark is the evangelist who's preparing to tell a story. He's the first one that we really know of that begins to tell the story of Jesus. But what's interesting about Mark's account in the Gospels is this, is Mark doesn't begin at the beginning of the story of Jesus. He actually begins at Jesus' life and ministry beginning is where he ends up. So Jesus' ministry is in full bloom when we begin to read upon the first chapters there in Mark chapter 1. So understand this, there's, there's no stars, there's no magi, there's, there's no prelude, there's no virgin birth narrative, there's no babe leaping in the womb, there's no angels, there's no crowded in, there's no shepherds, there's none of that. In Mark's account, the story of Jesus unfolds with Jesus walking onto the stage of humanity full grown. And without words, without fanfare, he walks in to the Jordan River to be touched and blessed by the hands of John the Baptist. Wordlessly, Jesus merges, emerges from his baptism and is driven into the wilderness where he is then tempted. Jesus then emerges from the desert and goes into the synagogue and there he finds his voice, kind of, sort of. Mark reports that those who hear his words of wisdom are astonished, is what Mark says. But Mark does not share the words that Jesus said. He just says people are astonished by the words that Jesus has spoken. In fact, it's probably hard for us to even be aware of this because most of the time pastors are, are, are normally found, were really fond of quoting Jesus. But Mark actually ascribes very, very few words to our Lord. Listen, there's no Sermon on the Mount. There's no Beatitudes. There's no Lord's Prayer. There are no long discourses like that in John's Gospel where we read upon the pages where he's literally talking about the words of Jesus and digging into them. We find very few parables. Mark sees Jesus in a way almost like, how many of you guys have ever seen the mimes? You know the mimes, the ones that are like, You know, they, I, I'm not a good mime, so. But basically, mimes are, are trying to show you a story and trying to paint pictures for you without using any words. It's the art of silence. It's the art of gesture. It's, it's the poetry in motion. Now, when I was a teen, we had fine arts, and, and we still have fine arts today, but, but when you look at human video and stuff like that, you'll see a song that will be played, and yet you'll see a group of kids on stage and and they're showing you basically a story without ever saying a word they're they're painting a picture for you so you and i can understand something the actions of a mime are descriptive no no really actually they're more prescriptive they're actually painting something for us that could when applied to our lives be life-changing they they actually provoke imagination. They provoke us to think and, and dig a little deeper. I think Mark wants us to see the picture of Jesus unfolding with few words. You see, it's easy to say the words of Jesus, but it's much more difficult to show the actions. 
We can say things all day long. But see, what Mark is doing is Mark is constantly saying, look at Jesus. Can I just say to you, look at Jesus. Come on, apostle, look at Jesus. Come on, prophet, look at Jesus. Come on, evangelist, look at Jesus. Come on, shepherd, look at Jesus. Come on, teacher, look to Jesus. If you will look to him and you'll look past just the words, you'll actually see a man, uh, uh, the son of God. You will see him walking out what you and I are called to walk out, how we are to love others. You'll see him laying hands on the sick. You'll see him walking into forbidden territory. You'll see him eating with a tax collector and sinner. You'll see him plucking the head of grain from, from the grain fields on the Sabbath day. You'll see him walking on water. You'll see him teaching from a boat. You'll see him riding on a colt. You'll see him breaking bread and lifting it and then sharing it with others and saying, do this in remembrance of me. Mark's Jesus acts out discipleship with very few words. Think about it as trial, silence. At the cross, as he's being taunted, silence. In the tomb, deafening silence. The silence of Jesus is provocative and also invitational. And here's what's crazy is for those of us who can actually embrace it, it can actually arouse something inside of us that could be life-changing. See, Mark presents a Jesus who is constantly on the move. And this is what Mark is constantly saying throughout the scriptures. He's constantly saying, look, see what he's doing. Look at Jesus and see what he's doing. A lot of people have asked me, so Pastor Brian, I, I really feel like I know which function I'm functioning in the church, like apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. I like, I know, I know the one that I feel really strong about. I've, I've talked with other people. Hopefully you have. You've talked with other people. I know groups have talked about it. People in groups are talking about, hey, so like, who are you in, in, in the whole thing? Like, what are you thinking about what, what we've been teaching on? But can I just challenge you with this thought? Because people have been asking, so Pastor Brian, what now? Okay, here, here's what now. Look at the life of Jesus now and look at what he did and look at how he fulfilled that function and then go and do it. Go be Jesus to the community around you. Be Jesus to your family. Be Jesus to others. Because those questions I asked in the beginning about loving, about serving, about compassion, those are all characteristics of who Jesus is. Those are all things that we see in his life. Jesus is constantly showing us, listen, this is what you do. This is how you live this out. So when a woman touches his garment and power goes out from him, he shows us what to do in that moment. Mark is basically presenting Jesus like a mime whose gestures and actions are more important than actually his words. Mark uses Jesus almost like a, a mirror for you and I to look at our lives and say, okay, now that I know that this is, a, this is a function that I've been called to live in, when we look in that mirror, then what do we see? Jesus moves from healing to teaching to eating. He's constantly on the move. He's constantly going throughout and saying, look at the actions. Look at how I'm living. And Mark is basically holding a mirror up to the life of Jesus throughout and saying, just look and observe his life. And see, while our eyes are focused on Jesus, Mark actually is suggesting to us that as you focus in on him, you'll actually see yourself more clearly. Now think about this. If you are created in the image of God, which we believe you are, you are created in the likeness of who Jesus is, then shouldn't your life reflect him? Shouldn't people look at your life and be like, oh, that person, they're a Jesus follower. Yeah, they're, they're a Jesus follower. See, Jesus tells people what true greatness means when he says things like the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Well, we don't like that. Because what happens is we, don't, we, we get so caught up with other things. We want to be first. We want to be the one at the center of attention. But Mark is showing us that Jesus actually lives out something completely different. 
Mark shows us that Jesus is so free that we cannot help but actually live in the freedom that Jesus actually is living out. So think about Jesus. He sits down in his, in his hometown of Palestine. Jesus is sitting there actually... He's walking this out, but then Mark finds himself sitting down, and, and Mark begins to write. And as Mark is writing, he's writing these things. And, and it's almost as if Mark is writing this out. It's if Jesus' life was a silent movie, what would it speak? I, I almost picture Mark having that in his mind of like, if Jesus' life were a silent movie, what would it speak? So here we go. If it was, Jesus' life would speak of loving others. Think about this of, of love. If Jesus' life is speaking of love, what kind of love is it? Well, it's a, it's a love that says, you know, no greater love than this than a man lay down his life for that of another. That is, a, that is an image, a, a word picture that you and I get. Mark chapter 15, verse 16 through 20 says this, And the soldiers led him away inside the palace. They called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And as they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him, and when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. These are the same ones that Jesus was saying I love. At any point in time, Jesus could have wiped them out. He had the authority of heaven at his command. At any point in time, he could have been like, enough is enough. And like we see on movies right now, it would have been, Jesus could have been like, no! And then boom, it could have been like a little force battalion of people falling back like on the Matrix or something. That could have happened. At any point in time it could have happened, but Jesus was showing love to even those, even those who would bring ultimate pain and suffering. Jesus' life not only spoke of love, but it also spoke of serving. When you look in Mark chapter 6, you see the story unfolding of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus served others. He was constantly in the mode of serving others. When you look at the life of Jesus, okay, how, Pastor Brian, now I know where I'm, I know an apostle, I'm, I'm a prophet, I'm a shepherd, I'm an evangelist, I'm a teacher, okay, God, or Pastor Brian, I know where I'm at. So, Pastor Brian, I know that piece, but, but yet, in knowing that, how, how do I do this? Okay, look at the life of Jesus, who is the head of the church. He loved others, so what should you do? Love others. He served others. What should you do? Serve others. Serve them. Yesterday, we were sitting in the dorm room, and uh, we had come out into the lobby area, and it was raining down there in Florida, and as I was coming back in the lobby area, there was a young lady who was sitting there. She was all by herself. I went and sat by her specifically. Introduced myself to her. Asked her a little bit about her story. Ended up finding out she's a freshman. She lives only about an hour away. She lives in Orlando area. Found out that her, R, or her roommate is actually an RA, which RAs are really busy in the first part of the week. So she goes, I, I literally have only seen her at night when we went to bed. I haven't had a chance to talk with her at all. Unpacked her story a little bit more. Ended up finding out she, she doesn't know anyone else on campus. She literally was just sitting out there in the foyer by herself, not knowing what to do. Her mom would send her texts and say, you have to go meet people to which she was paralyzed by. I'm sitting there in this moment and, and I'm there to serve my daughter, to take care of my daughter, but I'm telling you, like, it just, it, I just couldn't help it. 
And so I had to make some connections and I had to make this moment happen. And, and so I'm like, well, I want you to meet my daughter. And so Jordan and Kasha come walking over. Because at this point in time, it's just me, stranger, danger, dad, <laughs> talking to this young lady, <laughs> finding out her story and everything. I, I just, I couldn't help it. It just, it just comes out of me. And so I connect her with Jordan and they start connecting and everything. And, and, and literally she had told me that she wasn't going to go to anything because she didn't want to go to those things because she's like, I just, I don't know anyone. I don't want to walk around by myself. And so I'm like, well, now you don't have to walk around by yourself because you know my daughter, Jordan, and Jordan's going to invite you to come with her. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm making all these things in these moments. Why? Because I, I, I just can't help but not serve other people. Well, will I see that young lady again? I don't know. But it doesn't matter. It's not about what I receive in that moment. It's about me being Jesus to other people. And I think Jesus would walk into rooms like that all the time. And people would say, well, that's just because you're an extrovert. Actually, it's not just because I'm an extrovert. Because one-on-one -on -one interaction, if I'm a true extrovert, does not bring energy to me. If anything, it drains me. If you know anything about personality stuff. But we won't get into all that. What was I trying to do? I was simply trying to be Jesus to a young lady who I could see it all over her face and all I could think of was my own daughter if she was in that same shoes, how I would want somebody to help make some moment happen in there to where she wouldn't sit in that moment. Was it my responsibility? No, but I have Jesus living inside of me and if Jesus is living inside of me, it's gonna come out. Jesus' life spoke of compassion. Mark chapter 7, verse 24 says this. And from there he arose and he went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house and he did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Why? He's Jesus. It's hard to, it's hard to hide it. Listen, I try hiding all the time. I honestly do. I don't go up to people and say, hi, I'm Pastor Brian. <laughs> yes man of God here. Yes, pastor of the largest church in Adrian, Michigan. I don't do that junk. In fact, a lot of times I don't want people to know I'm a pastor. I'm working through my own issues on that. Because everyone always thinks things. Like people will be around me and they'll be like, oh yeah, what's up mother? Blankety blank, 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 blank. And they're saying all this stuff and I'm like, yeah, hey, how are you? And everything. And then all of a sudden they're like, so what do you do for them? I'm like, I'm a pastor. And I'm like, oh! <gasps> if I had known those words would have never come out of my mouth. And I'm like, it's all right. Don't worry about it. Why? Because I, now, now get this. I don't expect someone who's a non-Christian to act like a Christian. I just don't. It doesn't shock me. I don't sit there and go, oh, my ears can never hear. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do that. I don't make them feel awkward. Why? Because they're, they're a non-Christian. They don't know Jesus. Of course they would act that way. I'm not shocked by it. I'm not like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that. I don't. Because they're what? They're not a Christian. Now, when Christians talk the way they do, oh, I have more problems with that. I have more problems with gossip in the church. Oh, no, don't get me started on this. Because as Christians, your life has, should be different. You should speak and act different. You have no excuse. Well, Pastor Brian, I, I've just, you know, I, I'm a Christian in process. Then get your act together. Because some of us have been in process for a long time and we're still dealing with the same old things we've been dealing with for 20 years. Okay. See, I told you, it's a little more touchy for me in that one. Goes on to say, but immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, fell, or came and fell down at his feet. This is where Jesus is actually going to show the compassion. It says, now the woman was a Gentile, so we know there's a separation there. Jesus could have easily said, oh, you're a Gentile, I'm a Jew, sorry, not today. Oh, you're not like me. Oh, you're, you're not a Christian, sorry. Sorry, you're on your own. You keep making bad decisions, yep, they, you're just answering for the decisions you make. No, Jesus actually has compassion. It says, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Begged him. Jesus, please. Jesus, please. 
If you'll listen closely, the world around you is begging you to introduce them to Jesus. They're begging you. There'll be moments you'll be sitting there at work and you'll hear it by the things that they'll say. As they begin to open up, why do people open up all the time? I think it's because I have Jesus living in me. It's because they see glimpses of Jesus in me. And when they see glimpses of Jesus, there's hope that begins to rise. Jesus should be in you and people should be seeing it. He goes on to say this, and he said to her, let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Man, when I first heard that as a kid, I was like, Jesus, like, what? Like, this doesn't seem like you, Jesus. But what Jesus was doing in this moment was he was letting her understand the context to what was getting ready to happen. Then the, the woman says, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumb. And he said, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child laying in bed, and the demon had gone. What did Jesus show us in that moment? Compassion. Compassion in the midst of a culture that was saying Gentiles and Jews should not even be in conversation with each other. Listen, I understand in the church we have tried to create Christian bubbles. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying go out and watch rated R movies and just, you know, just let whatever come in and just no filter, nothing. I'm not saying that. Don't get that from what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, is that you and I are supposed to be a part of the culture that's around us and we should be influencing the culture. You have light, they have darkness. Light always beats darkness. You can't have a light on in a room and say, all right, let's bring enough darkness in to where we can cover the light. It doesn't happen. It can't work that way. The next thing is Jesus' life spoke of hunger. Mark chapter 14, verse 38 through 39. You see Mark writing the account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is praying. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. What was Jesus modeling for us? That in times of great need, you and I need to have a hunger for the things of the Lord rather than for the things of this world. Jesus was showing us how important those times with the Lord really are. His life spoke of that of hunger. His life also spoke of that of faith. If you look over in Mark chapter 16, Verse 4 through 20, actually. It's a little bit more extended, but let me read this to you. It says, Afterwards he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who had saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. What was Jesus' life speaking of in that moment? It was speaking that of faith. To look at poison and to take it, that would take faith. It's interesting because we started last week this faith move, and uh, the idea behind it is, is let's take a faith move together as a church body. I can show you upstairs in one of the classrooms a a whole entire master plan of this property that Bill Leach, oh man, 40 years ago, put together. Where he had been feeling like God had been laying things in his heart. I mean, literally, I mean, the whole 55 acres completely built out. I mean, like, basically what we have here is a church times four, building-wise. Uh, uh, at that point in time, a, a Christian school. Now, we partner with a great Christian school, so we don't need to have a Christian school here. But, but a Christian school and baseball fields and, and a track field and all these different things. And I sit there and I go, okay, if God had laid upon Bill Leach's heart way back then, 
all those things. And then, and then you see later when rich clay comes in, God lays on his heart to have this whole build out of this property and everything. And everyone says, oh, you know, some of the old timers, you know what I'm talking about. You say, well, man, good thing we didn't build any of that or start that because the recession happened. Can I just say, if God spoke to Bill's heart and spoke to Rich's heart and then speaks to my heart before we get in here, before we even come and, and arrive, like I start sharing these visions about things. If God's been speaking that to people, can I just say, maybe God's asking for us to make some faith moves. And people will say, well, Pastor Brian, why are we not doing that? Well, because remember, we're all about bringing people one step closer. And if I was to launch that type of an idea, that's not a step. That's like a jump, a leap, uh, like a crazy thing. People say, well, that sounds more like faith. Yeah, no, remember, it's just, it's a faith move. So we're activating the faith of this church. For years, we have had the blessings of the Lord upon us and not had to have a mortgage. That's awesome. But at the same time, the building has gotten older. Things have broken down. We haven't fixed things. We've allowed it all to stay the same. Well, well we don't need to change it, Pastor Brian. It was good back then. It's good today. Hmm. If we took that line of thought, you'd still be driving the same car that you were driving when you first got your license. And I could say this, for many of us in this room, you are not driving the same car that you got. Some of you wish you were still driving the same car because I've heard some of the cars, man, some of you are like, yeah, my first car was a Mustang. And I'm like, what? Yeah, then I got married. I had to get rid of it. I'm like, oh, I understand. I'm a minivan family. We know minivans. So what is the faith move all about? It's about raising $300,000 before the year end. There's a little bit of faith in it because we're saying by the end of this year, we want to raise $300,000. How do we do that? Through all of us. We've asked people to join and be a part of it. Someone came up to me last week. And I understand their heart. Trust me, I, I really do. I know the heart of this person. And they said, Pastor Brian, we have all these things going on in our home from just things that are going on, like lots of expenses and everything. And they said, we're really struggling with this. We, we don't want you to think that we're not supporting you, but we do want to support you, but we just don't understand how we can do it. And all I simply asked was, talk to the Lord. And what is the Lord telling you to do? I was talking with a young man. He, he uh, said, Pastor Brian, I, I put zero on there because the Lord told me to do zero. And I said, okay. If that's what the Lord told you to do is zero, who, I can't argue with the Lord on that. I, I would wonder though, is that a faith move? Because <laughs> see, faith, faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's like I can't see how these things are going to happen. But I wonder how many times God's just up there and he's like, you know what, if you would just make the move, I'll take care of it for you. Just, just make the move. Operate in faith. Someone said, well, Pastor Brian, if I, if I put that down as a pledge and then, and then I don't accomplish that, I, don't, I, I feel like I've let it down. That's why it's called a pledge. It's, it's your trusting and having faith in that moment. Well, you're going to move forward with things. We're moving forward with stuff. Stuff is happening right now. The basement right now, the, the walls are gone in the, in, the, in the area down there. It looks sweet. It's all opened up. I mean, the ceiling tiles are all coming out. The carpet's getting ready to get torn out. I mean, like, it is happening, folks. Like, it is happening. The parking lot, by I believe next Sunday, will be completely redone. Uh, the whole parking lot will be done. We pulled fence out over there, and people have asked questions, why are you pulling the fence out? Because we're making spots for more parking. And I don't want it to feel like a prison yard. Because <laughs> that's how it felt like a little bit over there. It's like the prison inmates would come out of the little brown building, and they could play in that area. And that's actually where we take all the BCC kids, all the Bethany Child Care kids. <laughs> we, we put them over there, those little inmates, those little... So what, what, are we trying to, what are we trying to do? We're trying to make a faith move together. Jesus' life spoke of that of a faith move. His life showed it. 
We're asking for you to do that. We're asking for you to make a faith move. And I know many of you are like, man, I, I'm going to make a faith move. So, so fill that card out. If you're like, man, I wasn't here last week, so I didn't get a card. We have them back at the next step area. We want you to make a faith move with us, to trust God for it. To say, okay, God, I'm looking at my finances right now, and it, it looks like this would be a really hard thing to accomplish. If you look at it, and you're like, oh, this will be easy. Chances are, it's not a faith move. <laughs> I can't say it's not, but it's hard to call it a faith move if you can easily accomplish it. And so I would just challenge you, ask the Lord on it. Ask the Lord on it. I think the Lord, and this is just me, I, I think that he's asking for us to make a faith move. So what does Jesus' life speak of? If Jesus is the head of the church, his life speaks of love, his life speaks of serving, his life speaks of compassion, it speaks of hunger and of faith. So as followers of Jesus, every follower, remember that's the series we're in, every follower, this is the last week, every follower, what should our life speak of? Our life should speak of love, of serving, of compassion, of hunger, and of faith. Ephesians 4, and he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. When you came in today, you should have received an every follower card. Looks just like this. If you could pull this out for a minute. We, we want to activate the church body, and so we're going to ask you to do something. We're going to ask you to fill this card out. If you did not get one, please just raise your hand real quick, and we'll hand some out. Just put your hand up, and we'll, we'll get them. We got some over here, some over here. Todd, if you could go grab some of those and just keep your hand up. They'll get them to you. So while, while people are still getting these, those of you who have them, here's what we want you to do. We want you to write your name on it and your email on it. So write your name and email. And then I'm going to ask you to do something. We asked you last week to kind of list your, uh, from one to five, one being your strongest. Like one being the one that you're like, this is who I think I am. This is the function I think God's called me to. And then five being your weakest. We're going to ask you to now, because now you've had a whole week to kind of think about it from last week. These are all just steps. See the steps here? We're going to ask you to fill it out on here. And then what we're going to do is we're going to create a database, quote unquote, of all of our apostles, all of our prophets, all of our evangelists, all of our shepherds, all of our teachers. Why? Because we want to equip the church now. Now, you just got to be patient with us. These are the steps to how this works. This is us trying to figure this out of how do we mobilize and activate the five-fold ministry gifts in the church. This is a next step in it because we need to recognize what we have in the church. So if we only have like one or two apostles, that may mean we need to, to pray in some apostles, maybe, you know, teach a little bit on that. We'll, we'll figure those things out, but we want you just to write it out. So if you're like, man, for me, apostle, I'm like, that is, that is my primary function. So I would write a one in the apostle spot. And then I would just, I would go through it and I would write one to five on those. So just go ahead and write those out, one to five on those. And then what we're going to do is, is, Todd, listen, so we're going to have the buckets at the back doors, okay? So make sure that happens. Okay, so we're going to have the buckets at all the back doors, and when you go to leave, you'll take this every follower card and you just place it in the bucket, okay? So when you leave, you'll place the every follower thing in there and then we'll take it from there and we'll continue wrapping everything up. Let me close with this passage of scripture. Psalms 32 says this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whom and in whose spirit there is no deceit. He goes on to say, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, my hands were heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of the summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. 
Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at the time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit or a bridle, or it will stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteousness, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. May today, may today you walk out this knowing that your iniquity, your sins have been forgiven. Knowing that Jesus is the head of his church knowing that you have a role to play in it, knowing that the best way for you to allow your actions to speak louder than your words is to put Jesus at the center of your home and the center of your life. So Father, right now, I pray for every person here within the sound of my voice. And I ask, Father, that you would bless them. Father, I ask that you would keep them. Father, I ask that you would go before them. And Father, I ask that you would draw them. Draw them into your presence. Draw them into a relationship with you. May they have a deeper and greater understanding of who you are May they seek to love others. May they seek to serve others, to have compassion on others, to hunger for your word and for your truth, to operate in faith in their lives. May they allow you, Jesus, to be the head, not only of the church, but the head of their life, the head of their finances, the head of their families, the head of their marriage, the head of their workplace, the head of their health, the head of their emotions, the head of their very being. Father, I thank you that when we allow you to be the head, that our actions speak louder than our words. Amen.